0: This is the Iowa State Athletics Sidecast.
1: I'm John Walters. Today's Sidecast is a visit with Iowa State Athletics Hall of Famer Tim Floyd. This past weekend, Floyd's 1996 Big 8 Tournament Championship team was honored at the Iowa State Basketball Reunion. We'll talk about that team and some of the great players that Floyd coached to names. We hope you'll enjoy our visit with Tim Floyd. Well, Tim, it's awesome to have you back. First you came back for the Hall of Fame, which was, was terrific, and now you're brought back again with the 1996 team being honored. It has to feel nice to be welcomed back here at Iowa State.
0: It, it's just tremendous. And, and I applaud Steve for uh, having the foresight and, and thinking about how much this would mean yeah. to not the, just the coaches. You know, we have enough memories. But these players, you know, when it's over, it's over. And, um, you know, a lot of them, I know Clay Edwards had his son back with him. And, and I just think that's really, really great. The athletic director for for understanding what Steve's trying to do needs to be commended as well. It's fun to get back. You know, I, I walked into Hilton, and, and there's so many great memories, and um, none none bigger than the than the crowds, obviously. A lot of exciting games, and I can honestly say, John, that I do not feel like Hilton was ever duplicated in the next. Twenty years of my career, I never felt that again, either at home or on the road. I am talking about going to Poly Pavilion, going up to play MacArthur Court in Oregon, or the Pit in Albuquerque, or certainly our home arenas, NBA, college. It was um, really special times.
1: Speaking of special, that nineteen ninety six team really was special, and it was such a, a unique year because you had just lost Fred and Yulo and Hurl and Lauren, and everybody thought, okay, they're going to be starting all over. And, boy, you assembled one heck of a team.
0: Well, we were picked last. And, yeah. uh, and, and when you're picked last, it just takes so much off your back. And so we just coached hard. But the players, we, we as coaches had no idea how good these guys were. And they were good. I mean, we, we tried to recruit over J.C. Holloway. I mean, the guy looked like he should have been at the frat house having a beer. And, 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 but he couldn't be a point guard when you're playing against Jock Vaughn and these guys who were playing against in the, in the in the Big 8 and the Big 12. So, you know, we went out and signed a couple of JUCO guys at the point guard spot, and he just beat them out. And then Dedrick Willoughby, was my fifth guard at the University of New Orleans. My fifth guard on a 26-2 and team. We played him about six minutes a game. Which tells you what a great evaluator of talent I am. I mean, he came in here. He was, he was Big 12 runner-up player of the year to Paul Pierce. Uh, his senior year and his junior year, he made more free throws than anybody in, in the Big 8 Conference attempted. And I had no clue. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, Gar found a heavy set six-two and a half power forward. And Kenny Pratt had no offers. You know, Dedrick had no offers. JC had no offers. And and Kenny Pratt comes rolling in, and and Garf says, well, "This is your guy." And I look at him and said, "You got to be kidding me." I said, "What position are we gonna play him at?" He says, "Power forward." So he's six-two and a half. <laughs> we gotta play against Rayford, Friends, and Scott Pollard. What are you doing? And and he was the most difficult matchup in college basketball. He couldn't be guarded. Uh, strong, physical, tough. Uh, Clay Edwards played a tremendous role off the bench. Joe Moderman would come off the bench and just make every shot. And then we had Sean Bankhead, who was the only newcomer that had an offer. He had an offer from Washington State. Mm-hmm. If it was anybody else, I'm not sure we could have beat him. You know, but we. But he came in and ended up being the best defender that I ever coached. Mm-hmm. I mean, college or pro. Uh, he was just relentless. And he, sh- he thought he should have shot it every time we cut his arms off. but but And I'm sure he's going to say something to me about it here. But he had been in the NBA if we let him shoot it. But <laughs> but he was six five and tough. And then uh, Kelvin Cato, 6'11, ended up being the best rim protector, shot blocker in college basketball. And uh, he'd play at home. Uh, he'd play if the NBA scouts were in the stands at Kansas or if it was an NCAA tournament, if he thought there was some money on the line, he'd go play. He was tough some nights on the road getting going. But uh, we beat Lynn College in Boca Raton, Florida, to get him. He ends up playing 12 years in the NBA. But these guys could really, really play, and we just had no idea. As coaches, mm-hmm. nor did uh, uh, our fans uh, going in, which made it such an enjoyable year, because if we got beat, well, yeah, they're not supposed to be good. But... When we won, then it was, well, they're doing great things, but but we had great players.
1: And you mentioned the word tough over and over again as you were describing those guys. And to me, that's what I when I think of that team, that was the most uh, mentally tough team I can remember. Mm -hmm. Just hard nosed, tough guys. Is that why they were successful? Well, it it had a lot to do with it
0: because they were competitors, and it's kind of gotten to where today in college ball, you got to recruit try to find hard-playing guys. In those days, you just kind of took it for granted. But but that had a lot to do with it, the toughness. But then the skill level of Willoughby and Pratt were very, very difficult to guard. And then uh, our guard play Mm -hmm. was uh, arguably the best in the Big 12 with Willoughby and and, and J.C. And uh, we tried to recruit over J.C., but I spent the next 20 years of my career trying to find one like him.
1: Well, it carried right over to the next year, which was another great year, Sweet Sixteen year, and actually, that's a team that certainly could have made the Final Four with the bounce of the ball. Uh, no, no doubt in my mind.
0: Oh yeah, we were we were right there, weren't we? Right there. It's probably the most devastating loss I had. As I recall, we were up sixteen with um, with eleven minutes to go, and uh, normally we'd have to get Cato out. Uh, at the 15 minute mark, bef- I mean, I'm sorry, the, the 17 minute mark before the 16 minute timeout, at the 13 minute mark before the 12 minute timeout, because he could go about three minutes and he'd need about a two minute blow. And we put him back in and, and he'd just play his tail off. Uh, but uh, we, we couldn't get him out and, uh, and he picked up a couple quick fouls and um, we got a little tired. We're up 16 with 11 minutes to go. Uh, you have your do overs in your career. I wish we'd just spread it out. Gone four corner with uh, 11 minutes to go. Of course, it, as a coach, you're worried about if you do that and you lose a game. Then everybody's going to say, "Well, you know, coach shouldn't have gone four corner." So I didn't have quite the courage to do it. But we got beat on a shot at the buzzer, and uh, it was a devastating loss to UCLA.
1: You you did have the courage to do a lot of things that a lot of coaches didn't do. You did some unconventional things. and I, I think of J.C. Holloway, Face Garden, great shooters from the other team, where I think of you fouling guys intentionally once they got in the bonus, even if it was early in the half. You were always kind of thinking outside the box a little
0: bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think all that came from, from Don Haskins, from working for a guy that I revered. Um, I, I, I told him I'd work for free just to learn the business mm-hmm. from him. I felt like I needed to learn. And uh, he, was, uh, he was creative. We'd spend two weeks every off season getting together in the summertime and uh, have a couple beers, sit down and just talk ball and talk about what, you know, have you ever thought about doing this? Have you ever thought about doing that? And uh, it took a lot from him in terms of thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. You know he he was nice enough to come up here and play us one time with a Texas El Paso team, and we played um, uh, played in our tournament Cyclone Challenge. I couldn't get, find anybody to play, so I said, Coach, you got to do me a favor. He said, Okay, I'll come up if you let me go pheasant hunting. Can you find somebody to take me pheasant hunting? That's what well, Coach. I don't, but I'll go. I'll find somebody. So I went with him, and he killed six pheasant on game day. Uh, we beat them by four or five that night. And they shot five free throws, okay? So that night I had him over for dinner after the ball game. And he came over, and the SID and the AD all came over to the house. And we were sitting there, and we were eating dinner, and doorbell rang. And uh, I said, I wonder who that is. He said, it's probably the officials. He said, we only shot five free throws. He said, it was the only time in my career where I shot more birds than free throws in one day. So, so he was quite a character. And... Uh, uh, but a lot
1: of great memories here, and those those that's that's part of it. No doubt, Coach Askins, I love the clip-on tie that came off about a minute into the game. Um, you coached Fred Hoyberger's first year here, and I, I know in talking to Fred, he still communicates with you a lot. Do you cherish that relationship that you have with Fred and uh, those guys that you inherited that first year? Because that team was awfully good, too.
0: Uh, we were so fortunate to, to have inherited, you know, Lauren Meyer, who was a, a first-rounder. Six eleven, Julius Mikalic, one of the most skilled guys in the United States. Six eleven could really shoot it. Fred Hoiberg could really shoot it. Hurl Beacham really shoot it. J.C. Holloway the problem was all five of them were white and I'd, ne- I'd never I'd never played with white guy before before I got here <laughs> and I was terrified <laughs> you know we came from Texas El Paso and and uh, the old Texas Western five black guys versus Kentucky in 66 and that's where I was raised but but that education of, of coaching those guys and being able to uh, see that level of skill and the fact that you know. You know, white guys can jump, and they can run, and they can, can guard you. Uh, that, made it, that made it kind of fun. And uh, uh, one of my great memories of that team is, that, is the way I'd been raised in the business was that Coach Askin said, you can never be afraid to coach your best player. Well, Fred was our best player, without a doubt. Going into the season, everybody knew it. You know, you call him the mayor and all that, and, and everybody's telling me how great he is. And, and, and these kids were like you know, church mice. They were just sweethearts. They did nothing wrong. I thought, I've got to get on these guys about something. I've got to find something to get on Fred about. So um, we'd had our first football game. And, and I'm trying to get a voice and make sure the kids are a little bit afraid of me. I think that that's OK. And so Fred's my best player. I've got to come up with something. Well, we had our first football game. I, I, I scheduled a meeting on Monday. So I start off the meeting and I said, let me tell you guys something. I told you uh, in our meeting two weeks ago that nobody, nobody was going to be drinking in these bars around campus and this and that. And I said, Hoyberger, I heard you snuck a beer into the football game knowing that he didn't. And he looked at me and put his palms up because he had not. <laughs> you know? And I said, don't look at me that way. And I just lit him up in front of the team because I wanted to know, you know I could get on the best player. And then Fred came up to me later and said, "Coach, what was that about?" He said, "I never, I never had a beer." I said, "I know you didn't, but don't tell the damn rest of them." What I, I, I needed to get on you to get, get old Lorne Myers' attention. So he he tells that story all the time.
1: I love yeah. that. I love that story, and I have heard that one. And you know, it's funny. Uh, we were just talking before we started this interview, and you had such kind things to say about Pete Taylor, and I know that. To every Iowa Stater, Pete was special, but he he had a special relationship with the coaches. He was very close with the coaches, a guy you could kind of depend on. Just tell me a little bit about your thoughts as you think back and you step in this building and think about Pete.
0: Well, Pete, Pete became a friend. He was a friend. He was a soothing voice. You know, I was high-octane, and, and uh, you know, the wheels were coming off every other day and and paranoid, totally paranoid. You know it's your one shot, and and you want it to work, and so you're coaching every possession, every game. Anytime something happened, you're reactionary, and Pete could just calm me down. And he can make me laugh. So let's go have a beer. Let's sit down here. Let's talk about this. And I knew that he had my best interest at heart, and I knew when I talked to him, it wasn't going to Gene Smith, the athletic director. It was Pete and I talking, and and uh, telling me to relax, telling me to enjoy this, enjoy that. And I miss him. I really miss him. You know, we we lost him far too early. And there was another man uh, during that time frame. Obviously, Gary Thompson and I were close, Richard Stark. But uh, another man who I was uh, extremely close with was Dr. Bob Gitchell. Uh, Gary Thompson and Bob Gitchell never missed a practice, Mm -hmm. not one practice in four years. Okay, they were there. I mean, if we went at 6 a.m., they're there. Christmas Eve, they're there. And uh, and I really miss Doc. You know, we lost him four years ago.
1: He was your free throw coach, right? Yeah. He, <laughs> Self-appointed? Yeah, he
0: was, well, he was a golfer. And he, and he really thought, you know, he could do the analytics of a golf swing and convert it to basketball. So, you know, I placated him. And I said, okay, you really think you know a lot about free throw shooting? Anytime we'd miss a free throw, we could go 19 for 20. He said, why'd you miss a free throw? You know, so I said, well, you're so smart. Why don't you go out there and coach a free throw? So... So he took some pride in it, and I let him be the free throw coach. And you know, he, he was a golfer, but uh, but I'm not sure he didn't help us too. He he, he kind of that was his area. And then Gary Thompson, of course, was a great player. Yeah. So Gary I asked him questions about the game too. You know, so I called him. You know, Doc was underqualified because he was a golfer. I called him UQ, and I called Gary OQ for overqualified. And <laughs> <laughs> Doc would get a big kick
1: out of that. <laughs> Coach, you've been a coach your whole life, and now you're finally stepping away from the profession a little bit. How does it feel? I mean, are you, are you enjoying not having that constant pressure or thinking about the, the very next game and the very next practice that has consumed your life for so many years?
0: You know, I grew up in it too. See, my father was a coach, and, and then I played. So I've never been away from it. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, I'll say this, John. You do something for 42 straight years and 32 years as a head coach – uh, if I don't miss something, that just means I did the wrong thing. I should have been, I should have been doing another profession yeah. along the way. So there's going to be something yeah. I miss. Yes. But it just got to a point health-wise where, um, you know, it, it was taking its toll. I mean, not anything that was, you know, well, it probably would have killed me had i stayed with it. Mm-hmm. Just things that a lot of guys in your mid-60s are dealing with. And, um, and so it was time. And I knew that I would know when it was time. But uh, these things right here are what, what it's all about. You know, it's, the wins are great. Um, you don't remember many of them, though. The losses are what you remember. That's what you remember. But these guys is why you do it. Uh, nothing greater in coaching than hearing from a former player. Having them call you when they're 35, when they're 40, they're 45. Uh, you know, running into them and they, they introduce you to their kids. They're calling you, Coach, I got a new job uh coach we're expecting a baby uh that's cool that's cool it's corny but it's cool and
1: it's really what it's all about and i'm going to let you do that right now but i appreciate you taking a few minutes and it's awesome catching up with you i always admired you and and thought you did a tremendous job at iowa state and everywhere you coach but uh just really fun to catch up with you well thank you john good to see you again